Welcome back, everybody, to Uncensored CMO. Now, in this episode, I'm catching up with Anselmo Ramos, who is one of the founders of the Gut Agency. If you don't know, Gut were the most prolific winners at Cannes this year, winning the Agency of the Year, Independent Agency of the Year as well. Although, slightly ironically, uh, news breaking that they have just sold. So uh, since recording this with Anselmo, they've gone on to sell the agency. Um, this was recorded just before, and I wanted to catch up with Anselmo to find out what is it like creating a creative agency, winning so many can lines, how to do creative really well. They've worked on some of the biggest campaigns on the planet, worked for companies like Burger King, Stellar Artois, and many more. This is a great episode. Anselmo is a real ad nerd. It comes across in everything he does. He loves his craft and he's got so much practical advice about how to make great creativity that works. You'll enjoy this one. It's a great episode with Anselmo Ramos. Welcome to the show, Anselmo. Thanks for having me. Let's go back to the beginning. You describe yourself as an ad nerd. So how did it come about? What inspired you about advertising and why would you describe yourself as a nerd? Yeah, I think I became an ad nerd um, as a consequence of my childhood. I was born and raised in Sao Paulo and it was a very creative environment, my family. My dad was a mechanical engineer, but he would do oil painting in the weekends. And my mom is a piano teacher, you know, and she's still... A piano. She's 80 and uh, she still teaches the piano. And um, and then they sent me to a German school, Rudolf Steiner. It's a Waldorf pedagogy. And it's just a very creative environment. You know, I had no grades up until high school, zero grades. Yeah. And it was just, you know, every class was about painting, drawing, sculpting, acting, gardening, knitting. I know how to knit. You know, John, I can eat I can eat a sweater for you if you want. This is great. Yeah. yeah. So uncensored CMOs. We would do like a bright yellow uncensored sweater. Exactly. Yes, yeah, it's great. So I know how to knit. You know, and I, you know, and when it was time to choose um, my profession, you know, I wanted to do something that I could express my creativity. You know, I always, I also loved brands in general. You know, branding. So it was a natural choice, and. Um, I remember when I found out my dad's collection of Mad Magazine, you know, and for me, I was like, oh my God, you know, I, I read them all and I would send them ideas and I'm still wait, waiting for their answer. <laughs> they never replied. So yeah, advertising just um, was the natural choice for me because uh, since I was a kid, I always liked to show ideas to other people and see their reaction, you know? So I would draw something and show people. And I will write something and show everyone. And every time they liked it, I was, oh my God, I need that validation, you know? And, and, and in a way, I'm still looking for that validation, but now, you know, just making ads. Now we'll come on to Gus and I'm very excited to hear about how all that came around and what you're doing at the moment with the agency. But um, take us back a little bit to, you were at Ogilvy for many years, Chief Creative Officer. Yeah. Um, how was that and what inspired you about Ogilvy? And, um, you know, have you got a favorite o- Ogilvy quote, for example? When, when I came back to Brazil after 12 years abroad, was 2007, it was a, you know, it was a big job to change Ogilvy Brazil. It was a very profitable agency. I think it was top five revenue-wise in the in the OV network, but it was number 47 in creativity. So we had to change, you know, that culture. And the thing that we did, we basically reminded everyone about who David Ogilvy was. Because it wasn't just a name at the door. He was the founder. He said a lot of great things. So the job wasn't about creating a culture from scratch. It was about just reminding everyone about all the great things that David Ogilvy said. And he said so many things, right? Even other agencies use his quotes. But, you know, for instance, he said, the best ideas are usually, they usually come as a joke, you know? It's a great quote. And, you know, in our industry, is so serious right now, right? A lot of the work, if you go to Ken and you watch everything, a lot of the work are very serious and it's about purpose. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think we're, we could have a little more fun you know? So that's a great quote. Another one that he said was, unless your campaign has a big idea, you'll be just like a ship, you know, passing in the night. No one will see it, right? And it's so true, you know? Basically everything he said is very timeless because the problem with 95% of ads is there's no big idea, you know? And you don't feel anything. Ironically, it's more true 
than when he wrote it probably isn't it, it as yeah. in we you know there's less humor than there used to be yeah there's probably fewer big ideas it's more tactical less of the sort of long-running big ideas that you know last for decades yeah and here's the thing right if you think about the internet the internet is very stupid you know the the memes and the humor right and and brands tend to be very serious and and i really feel that brands should take themselves less seriously because the internet is just, you know, it's fun. It's just very stupid. I mean, very basically, if you look at what kind of works on social media and what gets the most clicks and likes, it's pretty much humor, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's memes, you know? Yeah. I mean, one of the, uh, as a, um, uh, as a client, of course, one of the quotes I like is if it doesn't sell, it isn't creative. Totally. And, and, and like, it's so important that creativity is there to make a difference, isn't yes. it, in terms of your business. And that's something that can be forgotten often in the in a relationship. Yeah, I know it's a great quote because, you know, a lot of times clients don't see the link between creativity and results or bravery and results, right? But I think that, I think the best marketers, they see that link, you know, like how bravery can lead to results. He also said another one that I like, um, the consumer is not a moron, she's your wife. <laughs> you know, <Yes>. that's very <laughs> David Ogilvy. And, and I think that's true, you know, consumers are very smart. Sometimes, you know, we dump, we dump down stuff, you know, and we think that consumers are not smart. They are really smart. You know, you can really do smart stuff. They, they will get it. And, and, and we operate in such a bubble, don't we, as well? And the, totally. we forget who yeah. the customer actually is very yeah. often. And, and I think, you know, I, I love Can, but I think some of the, the danger with Can is that we, we celebrate the things that we want to celebrate and we forget actually the people out there that really matter. Exactly. You know? They are the ones that need to like it yeah. before Can uh, jury, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, one other quote I was going to uh, run by you, which I thought was, uh, which I thought was great, is talent is the most likely, talent is most likely to be found amongst the dissidents, nonconformists and rebels. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty cool, isn't I it? I love that one. Yeah. It, it's true. You yeah. know, it's true. Sometimes, and you know, that happens a gut. We have some really talented people, but usually they're the difficult ones. Yes, you yes. Know? And um, yeah, talent comes with a price. It does. Because yeah. they care, don't they? They want to make a difference. They want to kind of, yeah. you know, challenge how things are done. Yeah. And they've got a vision they're for it. They're very stubborn. Yeah. And sometimes they're a pain in the ass. They just want to do great work, you know? And um, yeah, so it comes with that passion, you know? It comes with that at nerdness. Yeah. Know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So as you look back at your time at Ogilvy, um, what what stands out as the, what are you most proud of from that that time in your career? I'm really proud about the change that we were able to do in five years. So we went from number 47 to number one. And then in 2013, we became agency of the year in Cannes. And that was a first for any Ogilvy office ever. And it was amazing, right? And we were doing work for Unilever, Coca-Cola, a, a lot of great brands. And um, the work that I'm most proud about is real beauty sketches. You know, it's, there is a before and after about that work. And, and it was just great. When that happened, everything changed afterwards. You know, a lot of clients would come to us saying, give me a real beauty sketches. Like, you know, like, it, like it, you know, it works like that, right? But it was great. And I think the last one behind that work was the importance of embracing uncertainty. You know, just embrace uncertainty because we had no idea if that would work or not. We have no idea, but we had to do it. The only way to find out is by actually doing it, right? Now, that's quite interesting because most clients need certainty, don't they? And well, th yeah. this is a really interesting thing about the client-agency yeah. relationship is, you, know, you talk about bravery, of course. Yeah. And what most clients need is to avoid risk of something going wrong. Yeah. So how did you get kind of, how do you get the support to do something? Well, when we presented um, Real Beauty Sketches to... Steve Miles and Fernando Machado, they were the two clients. That meeting was basically them asking us, but how do you know if it's going to work? And my answer was, I don't know. I just kept repeating, I don't know. You know, and they were like, so you don't know if this is going to work? And I said, no, I don't. And the only way to find out is by actually doing it. You know, and you're a dove, you have money, you can do it. You know, we think it's going to work based on what we know about, you know, women's nature, which is not a lot, but we think it's going to work. But this is a social experiment. So it is an experiment. So the only way to find out is by actually doing it. And you need to be ready to, you know, if it works, use it. If it doesn't work, just trash it, right? And they were brave enough to understand that that was the nature of the idea and they decided to do it, you know? So we shot it and it worked. 
And then we said, oh my God, it worked. This is amazing, right? But but again, they, you have to be willing to lose control. The problem is that a lot of marketers, they want to control everything, you know, the KPIs and they, they want to make sure it's going to work. But some of the best ideas, from my experience, you have the feeling of uncertainty, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Because if you know everything, that means that it has it has been done before. There's already a playbook. And the best ideas, when you look at, at a fresh idea, you go, I don't even know how to start. I don't know what to do. I don't know who to call. And that's a great feeling because it means that it hasn't been done before. Yeah. It's funny, actually, because um, probably the most creative work uh, I've done, it won, in fact, it won two can lines. Um, just get that out there. But that ca- the interesting with that campaign is it, it came about because um, it was just pitched to me by the agency. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a response to a brief. They just came and said, we've got this amazing idea. We think there's a moment in time where we can do something that hasn't been done and you can own it. And if you wait too long for that moment to pass. So, so firstly, it was just about the, you know, because they understood the brand really well and we were working together very regularly, they, they had the permission just to come and pitch it. But the serendipity of it was, it was just at the end of our financial year. And the day before, finance had said to me, you've got about £300,000 in your budget. It was, I, I had a media rebate yeah. uh, and it, I hadn't expected it. It was more than I was expecting. And they said, if you don't spend it, we're going to have to give it back, right? So so I was in a position where I was being pitched an idea and I had this money I wasn't expecting. So I said to, I said to the team, just do it. And 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 I, in fact, in fact, I actually said, I don't even want to see it until it's on the television. That's amazing. And and, and, I, and, I, and yeah, and it, they were like, really? <laughs> yeah. In fact, weirdly with this particular film, I said, um, when they presented the idea, I had goosebumps. I was like, that is so good. I yeah. mean, I, I, I can, even just you talking about it, I can feel the kind of, feel the magic in it. And the only thing I said to them in terms of feedback, which is quite amusing, is I said, at the end of the ad, I want you to add at least three seconds of nothing. And I'm like, well, why? You know, because I want every, I want the feeling you've created to stay before you go oh, to the next that's ad. Amazing. So I actually, I, you know, I want you to build in yeah. just, you know, you know, you could end of ad and you pause. Usually that end just pause thinking. is just like really quick, isn't it? And I said, actually, I want that to be at least three seconds because when you get, a, when you get a feeling, I want it to stay. I don't I want it to go. It. And, and also <laughs> this is random feedback. I want you to take the brand out until the very end. And no, 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 no client says that. I wow. mean, we, we did slightly cheat. We had this um, very subtle product placement, but it, it was very authentically done and you kind of didn't, you didn't really realize. But I said, I don't want the brand getting in the way of telling the story. I want the brand to be revealed as they feel that moment right at the end sort of thing. But what's interesting about the situation is I can only do that because I had the freedom of money I didn't expect. Yeah. And and therefore I wasn't gonna sit all over them with a KPIs. It must do this. It must you know be ready then. And also they they were willing just to pitch the idea to me. And we've got that trust between us. And they were able to pitch the idea, and I was able to say I trust you because you've already proven you can do it. That's amazing, John. I love that story. We we do the same. We say something. You know, for us, if you know the brand, you are briefed already, right? If you know the brand positioning, the brand values and personality, the tone of manner you were briefed. Of course, there would be official client briefs, right? A new product or a new service, a new, a new something. They have to communicate. But we are always thinking, you know, um, because we're a bunch of ad nerds, everything we see, everything we watch, every trip we take, we're thinking, how can we use this for our brands? It's a very sad life, okay? <laughs> but it's beyond our control. And then, we just bring proactive ideas to our clients all the time. You know, what about this? What about that? And sometimes it gets to a point the clients tell us, please stop. You know, it's too much. We don't have the money or the calendar to produce them all, but it's beyond our control, you know? And sometimes the best ideas are exactly what you said. They're just one line that you send Maybe it's a text message, you know, maybe it's a phone call or or maybe just tell that idea over a drink. But it's just a very simple idea. It's just one line and, and you get it. You don't need a 200, you know, slide deck to present a great idea. I think that's what's fascinating about what you're saying because 
you know, m- m- most clients work have their own brand planning process, don't they? they? You know, they start with a strategy, they translate it into annual plan, that gets broken down into quarters and maybe even months, and then everyone's working on a, a on a cycle, aren't they? As in, you know, we're six months out, or there's a big event, we're going to launch new products, or or every year we always advertise in June, you know. So, you know, your customers, your advertisers are typically working to a calendar, aren't they? So it's quite a change, isn't it, for them to go, we're actually going to dispense with the, you know, the calendar, and we're going to work kind of continuously. Yeah, but I think that that's the modern advertising. You know, sometimes we call it, hack advertising or react advertising or fast advertising. There are many names, but basically it's just like, you know, you come to the internet in a more humble way, you know, because we say the brand is the boss, but the internet is God. And brands tend to talk a lot about themselves, but nobody cares, you know, nobody wakes up and, oh, I'm dying to know what your brand has to say. People don't like advertising, but people like the internet, you know? And um, the internet is deciding what people are talking about. There's always a bigger conversation than your brand. When you understand that, you brief in a different way. You become a little more humble. You understand that maybe you can adapt to the conversation, you can join a conversation. You can react to something that's happening instead of trying to plan everything. So that's why, you know, I think modern marketers understand that the importance of losing control and setting aside a budget for proactive ideas. That makes so much sense. When, you know, well, we're in a position now where lots of consumers are paying to avoid you. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So you need to earn the rights to, to get, you know, get, you know, get their attention. Um, I can't remember the, the quote was, um, oh, I can't remember which famous person said this, but it's like um, maybe a Burnback quote about, you know, creating a stage on which to perform you yeah. know, and, and you've got to basically put on a play, you know, to convince them, you know, but whereas we act like a shooting lodge where we're going around trying to shoot the, you know, yeah. shoot the consumer. I need to look it up. I can't remember quite the, quite the phrase, but it's almost like you're putting on a play and you have to earn the right to get the audience to pay, you know, pay attention to you, totally. um, yeah. which, which is super important. Um, love to come back to a bit more about gut and how you work, but just before we do, um, just fill in the gap between Ogilvy and, so you founded David, didn't you? Yes. Which I thought was clever because presumably the idea was from David Ogilvy. Was yes, it like the, totally. the, the, the yeah. first name to the second name? So what was it like being a founder, going from being in a, I, I guess, a big agency, very successfully grown up to most creative. What was it like starting out as a, effectively as a founder, right? For the first time? Yeah. The David idea was exactly that, right? Ogilvy was the last name and it's about tradition and the heritage of David Ogilvy. And we, our idea was, what if we start an agency using David Ogilvy's first name, right? And uh, it's just when you, say, when you tell someone, call me by the first name, it's more personal. And that was our pitch to Ogilvy and WPP. And um, they liked their idea and, and we started David, you know? And it was, amazing, it was an amazing experience because it was, we learned how to open an agency on their dime, right? So they put the money and um, they offered the back office, finance, HR, and all that. And all we had to do was to find clients and and brands willing to to work with us and and talent. And so it was great. You know, we were there for five years. It was an incredible experience. We learned a lot. We're very thankful. And after that, after five years, we we just wanted to do something else you know, a little more personal, 100% independent instead of being associated with a, with a holding company. And, and that's when we jumped. And that was only five and a half years ago, right? And, and we said, okay, let's do it everything again, right? All over again. But this time, just us, right? Self-funded. And we had the idea in Cannes at the Martinez, table 57, that's when um, Gusto and I decided to open Gut. And right there, the name decision was very fast. You know, we said, okay, we need a name. And then we remember that Gut was an option, you know, like five years ago. We said, remember Gut, that was a great name. Oh, so was it a potential name for David? It was, oh. yeah. And then we said, okay, that's a great name. Let's use that name. And then right there, I went to godaddy.com and I got Gut.agency. And I show it to Gaston, 
And then he got immediately worried. Oh my God, this is happening. <laughs> yes, it's happening. You got the website now. Yeah, happening. <laughs> exactly. We have a website, so it's real now. <laughs> and then, um, and then I spent the whole night reserving social media handles. You know, got Miami, got, you know, Toronto, got Mexico City, got Sao Paulo, got London, got Tokyo, got Singapore. I got them all. And next day I show it to Gaston. <laughs> he couldn't believe it. He was like, what? You know, what kind of partner I have? You know, this is crazy. Um, and now we're using seven out of them. You know, we have seven offices, so we're using them. But that's the power of manifestation, right? From the very beginning, we we were thinking really big. You know, we, we wanted to start an agency to to be the best, you know, the, the best independent agency in the world. That was always our dream. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was a different experience, you know. I took a second mortgage on my house. I called my family. I told my wife and my two daughters, hey, I'm leaving David. I'm starting a new company. You know, I'm, I'm going to be without a salary for two years. So it became a family thing. What was the difference in feeling between, I suppose, David, where you had, as you say, the corporate infrastructure support you and you could focus on being creative, to then being responsible for an agency that was starting from scratch. You don't have the infrastructure around. You've got the financial risk. That must have felt quite different. It was amazing. The feeling of freedom in the beginning was like, I was like, I can actually decide this without calling New York or London? Oh my God, that's great, you know? So we we enjoyed our freedom and we were saying no to clients, you know? Our first hire was Gize, our CFO. She's our global CFO today. She was our first hire. So she was sitting in front of me and I'll ask her, Gize, can I buy espresso? And she'll say, yes, a single one, not a double, you know? And, and we learned so much, you know, because we had to decide everything, you know, what, what's going to be the bank for the agency, you know, and all the uh, legal paperwork and, um, and talking to lawyers and all that. So we learned so much. There's a huge amount of operation, isn't there? And that's, oh, yeah. I, mean, I, I did private equity for a few years. And the thing that struck me was I'd gone from being a marketing director to being a shareholder in a, in a small business. And 90% of my time was not marketing. 90% yeah. of my time was kind of like, HR issues, bank loans, equity, warehouse stock. You know, I mean, I was in manufacturing, so we had to deal with that supply yeah. chain as well. But I was shocked at how much of it was just a physical running of something, you know, let alone doing the bit that I thought I was going to be doing. Yeah. It's tough, you know, but sometimes people ask me, Anselmo, what do I need to start an agency? And I tell them, well, work 25 years nonstop, <laughs> build relationships based on great work, then start your own agency, you know? Because the um, I think the reason God has been growing so fast was basically because of relationships and reputation, you know? And relationships not based on golf or boat or, you know, it's just based on great work. And um, and that's it, you know? If you have that, you can have an agency. Well, it's similar to Uncommon, isn't it? Over here, you know, you know Niels, Lucy, and um, uh, Natalie, they, they had huge experience already under their belts, didn't they, in terms of reputations, networks, relationships. And they, they, you know, they brought strategy, client relationships, and creativity together. So, yeah, you're right. It's kind of 25 years in the making, isn't it? Exactly. So it's not, you know, it's not overnight. Nothing is overnight, right? But it's, it's about building your creative reputation over time, you know, then everything else is a consequence. And what did you, so what did you want the gut proposition to be? I mean, there are, there are lots of agencies out there, there are lots of independent agencies. So why did you think this was going to be different and, and how is it going to be different to what? I think before? the, I think our name says it all, right? So it's a brave agency for brave clients. We have three core values, courage, transparency, and intuition, right? So courage is about having the guts to do something that hasn't been done before. Transparency is about speeding your guts inside and out. And intuition is about following your gut, right? Following your intuition. And so from the very beginning, we have we had clarity about who we are and who we are not. Because strategy is about choices. And we always said, in one line, we're a brave agency for brave clients. So we are not for everyone, right? We had a very clear mission. You know, we want to become one of the most diverse, creative, and influential agencies in the world, which feels very uncomfortable to say that out loud. And and that was it. But we had a very 
clear brand positioning, you know, because agencies, we sell brand positioning to our clients all the time, but a lot of agencies sometimes don't know who they are. You know, they don't have a brand position for themselves, you know? So we always treat a gut as a brand, you know, and it's our most important brand. So we have a brand book and we have a brand positioning, a brand personality, a tone of manner, we have all that, you know? So we, we take that very seriously. Who's your first client? Our first client in Latin America was uh, Mercado Livre. And then it was Tim Hortons, you know, um, our uh, client in Canada at Gut Toronto. It's, um, that was one of our first clients. We started to work them project-based and then um, they, we, they became our AOR in Toronto. In the, in, so in those early days, how did you go about kind of winning? Because obviously you needed to win quite a lot of new customers, didn't you, potentially? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So how do you generate, that, generate the new customers in the early stages? We just called everyone that we knew, you know, like, hey, remember me? You know, we had a period of no solicit, right? That we had to respect. But after that, yeah, after that, we just called everyone and um, and we just asked for projects, you know, give us a shot, give us a chance, give us a project. It's the part of asking. I always tell people, just ask whatever you want. This, this is very powerful, you know? This, and actually something you said as well, um, which really struck me was um, the phrase, indies help indies. Oh, yeah. yeah, Which is so true, isn't it? And, and you know, I think in corporate life, it, well, I was going to, the alternative is corporates eat corporates, isn't it? Because whenever I've been in corporate companies, it is just, everyone's trying to undermine and destroy everyone else. Whereas actually when you go and work in a small or an independent you know, agency or business, it's almost like everyone's very happy to collaborate, even with their competition oh, yeah, kind of thing, yeah. you know, because we're better together and we'll, you know, we've got more to gain by helping each other out. So it's a very oh, yeah. different, Indies, very different feeling. Indies love helping Indies, mm. right? Um, I have a very good relationship with Aaron from Rethink. You know, we talk all the time. We help each other like um, Niels from Common. Uh, I met him in person a couple of weeks ago. Um in London, he's great. And he came and he talked to the whole gut network, you know, 500 people. And I was interviewing Niels, you know, that's so generous. And then even before we opened gut, I remember I went to New York to meet Jerry Graff for the first time, right? He was a Barton Graff. And so I told him about my idea, you know, and I said, hey, what do you think? You know, should I do this? And he said, yes, I think I should totally do this. And I will help you, Anselmo. Whatever you need, you just call me, okay? Because I've done this, I can help you. I remember I left, I left that lunch with Jerry and I called Gaston. I said, Gaston, Jerry's saying that we should do this. So now there's no way back. We have to do it. Otherwise, we're going to look really bad. You're on the hook now, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah, have yeah. to do it. Yeah. What advice did he give you? He just told us to, to do it. He said, mm. you know, if you have that feeling, you should follow that feeling, mm. you know? You can totally do it. Because I, I think one of the challenges, is, I, I, I apply this to myself as well, is we often talk ourselves out of doing something, don't we? Because we often think, well, it's risky, which it is. Um, maybe the timing's not right. Then maybe I'll wait until the timing's better. So I think so often with the challenges of these things, it, it's more in our own heads, isn't it, than anything else? Totally. The timing is never right. There's no right time. It's always the wrong time, you know? But if you really want to do it, you need to have a very strong feeling, right? But if you have that feeling, you just have to follow that feeling, right? You need to have that desire. And then, and you have to believe that's going to work. You have to, because if you don't believe, who will? So it starts with you, right? So you have to dream big. Dreaming big and dreaming small costs the same. So dream really big believe it's possible, and then just go for it, you know? Then you have to execute, right? Now, going back to clients, of course, you, you've, you've had a few clients come back, right? So if we talk about Fernando Machado, uh, he's still a client, isn't he, now? Yeah, so we're starting to work again. Um, now he's at Notco. So yeah, we're starting to work on some projects with him. Yeah, it's, um, it's the sixth brand that we're working together. It's crazy. It shows the importance, doesn't it, of the personal relationship and trust between yes. you, know, you and the client that... Well, I often say to people, actually, don't follow brands, follow people. Yes. Um, I remember I remember working on, um, <laughs> quite a funny story, but I was working on a, when I was in my private equity, I didn't have very much money. I worked with this PR agency and we got on very well. And then um, they, they, they actually dropped me because they got a brief from a bigger drinks company, uh, which was obviously worth more money. And so they said, we're really sorry, we have to retire you as an account kind of thing. I was really upset. I was like, well, you know, I was spending 
everything I had with you. I was backing you when you were tiny as, a, as an agency. You've now grown. And then the irony was I then left and joined an even bigger company. You know? And of course, if, if they'd stuck by me and followed me, they'd have ended up with a much bigger brief than they ended up, they ended up taking. But, but you know, following the person rather than the, the brand is so yeah, key. It's, um, every business is about people. But in our business, I think it's even more. It's um, relationship business. And it's always about the person behind the brand. You know, sometimes people say, oh, what kind of brands you like to work with? Well, it depends, you know, because if you have a great CMO, you can, a great CMO can do great work with any brand. What, ma what, what makes a great CMO? A great CMO has a shared ambition with the agency. And, and a great CMO treats the agency as a partner, not a vendor. So it, it becomes a partnership where we all want the same things. We all want to create brand love long-term and do work that people talk about, um, evoke emotion, you know, generate results and all that. We all want the same things, right? And, uh, and we become just one team. And usually a great CMO is open to agency, uh, agency proactive idea and agency passion, right? And then, you know, everything else becomes a consequence of that because if you share an ambition and if you also talk about the kind of work we want to do together, right? You have the, a creative conversation about what's good and what's bad. Then it's just a, ma a matter of executing. Also, great CMO just do things, you know, just says, yes, it's approved, you know? I always say that if one day I become CMO, I'll just... I just like to be known as the approver. I just approve things. Yes, do this. Yes, do that. You know, of course, it's very easy for me to say that. But I think the more you do, the better you get because you learn so much by doing it. And sometimes agencies and clients take forever to execute anything, like years, just having meetings and decks and feedback sessions, right? And I believe in executing. And I believe in test and learn, test and learn. The more you do, the better you get, you know, because nobody knows anything, yeah. right? And the internet is great at giving you feedback. You know, just put something out there and pray and see what happens. And the internet will tell you very quickly if they like it or not, you know, so you learn. I think the interesting thing about what you said is you've probably described no more than about 5% of CMOs in the world. Yeah, the, the, because because most CMOs are managing the politics in a big organization. They're they're managing the approval process, they're managing strategy. They're trying to play it safe. They're trying not to get fired. They've got constraints from global, you know, or, you know, yeah. you know, from other departments. They're trying to you know sell into the you know the sales team or keep the finance person happy. Um, it's quite a rare person you've described. So from your point of view, how do you ensure that you're going to work with the right kind of client that's going to be able to do the quick approvals, be creative, be brave? So, you know, how do you, I guess, how do you assess your clients really in terms of who you want to work with? Yeah, I think at the beginning of God, in the first couple of years of God, we were all about bravery, you know, and it was a bit too much. You know, we were like, sometimes we would get um, RFI and we would send one back right? We call that the reverse RFI. So, okay, you have some questions for, for us as an agency. We also have some questions for you as a client, right? Here are 20 questions. And the question would be something like, what's your favorite ad of all time? What kind of communications do you want to do? What's your wildest creative ambition? Do you realize our name is God? And things like that. You know, it was a fun exercise. Sometimes client would answer them all and they will they would think, oh, this is funny. And sometimes client, clients wouldn't think that that's a great idea. Yeah. They, they would go like, well, we're the ones asking the questions yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, How yeah. dare you? Yeah. So it was very, it was a very interesting tool to assess what kind of clients they would be, right? That was at the beginning of God, you know, and then we kept saying we're a brave agency for brave clients, right? And then it got to a point that a lot of clients would not consider us at all because they thought that maybe we were too brave or or they wouldn't see the link between bravery and results. And then, you know, we we realized that we had to talk to 
you know, in order to talk to more clients, you know, and help them to be open to work with God, we said, listen, bravery is not binary. There's no such thing as you are brave and you are not brave. Okay, brave, bravery is a choice. It's a daily conscious choice. And then we created the bravery scale. The bravery scale is a tool to help clients to become more creative and their organizations to become more creative, you know, over time. Basically, it goes from zero to 10 and it's a scale, right? Zero is completely dominated by fear and 10 is there's no other way to live. And five is sometimes brave, sometimes safe. And then it's um, it's a scale and we have tips for each stage along the way. And we've had cases of clients that would join us and they were a two or a three and now there are seven or eight. And usually from our experience, it takes one year per stage, right? So as long as you are moving up on the bravery scale, it's fine, you know, because it's a process. It's very hard to change an organization over time. You know, it takes time. The problem is when you are going down the bravery scale, that's when we have to talk, you know, maybe we're not right for each other, you know? That's real. I, I, well, re- big respect for doing that because I think it's. Um, I mean, you know, it sound it, it, it can sound a little bit arrogant. Say we're going to do a reverse RFI on 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 the client, but actually, it's a really good thing to do because you, you you're forcing the client to think what do the, what do we actually want and do we know what we're going to get? Yeah. I remember asking Fernando when he was on the. Um, when he was on the podcast, going, you know, when when you're applying for a new job, right? You, you know, you think about a new job. Is there a risk for the, that they're going to hire you? And he goes. You hire Fernando Machado, you get Fernando Machado. It's like, you know, it's fairly obvious from all the things I've done what you're going to get kind of thing. And so you kind of reputation procedure, which I thought was very good answers to the question. Yeah. Um, I think every agency out there should do a reverse RFI. Yeah. I, I really think that the whole industry should do it because, mm. you know, it's like a date. We're both assessing each other to see if, you know, to see if there's chemistry and to see if this is going to be a great relationship. You know, the problem is that when it becomes one-sided, there's just one side choosing. You know, I think it should be both sides choosing. Makes a lot of sense. I think Neil said Neil said this thing actually when I had him on the show that if you haven't bought the work in the first six months, oh, I love that. Yeah, we'll put the price up twenty five. I, I told Neil's that I want to. I'm going to steal that. Yeah, <laughs> I told Neil's I'm going to steal that idea, and I think the whole industry should do that. Particularly with your always on idea, right? If you yeah. can, if you're constantly coming up and people are putting their passion and energy into all these ideas, that would make loads of sense. I love that idea. Yeah. Let's come on to some of the uh, some of the awards, shall we? Because congratulations. So this year, uh, I think you were. Not only Independent Creative Agency of the Year at Cannes, but Agency of the Year and even Independent Network of the Year. Is that right? Yeah, it was insane, John. I was, it was a dream come true. Friday night in Cannes, I couldn't hold it. I, I was, you know, holding the, the award of Independent Network of the Year and I, I just started to cry, cry, crying in front of the whole industry because it was very emotional for us. We take this very seriously. And... And yeah, and and ever since, you know, since June, we've been crying almost every day uh, and we're still processing what happened there and, you know, all the learnings and and what exactly we did together. In March, we took almost 500 people to Buenos Aires, Argentina for a gut event. You know, it was a crazy thing to do, very expensive. And, you know, with crazy logistics, and it was the best thing, you know, we did, you know, and when we had all the seven offices together for three days, we had the gut band playing, we had a soccer world cup, you know, the final was Brazil and Argentina, of course, you know, Brazil won in that case. And um, and it was so emotional, you know, to have everyone there. And Gaston and I, we shared 25 lessons from the first five years, you know, and and it was a very emotional moment, but but yeah, this year um, in Cannes was just historical and it was magical. You know, very very hard to repeat. What were the uh, what were the biggest of those lessons, or what are the ones that stick out the most? One lesson is to have your priorities right, and our priorities are people first, work second, clients last. And we say that to our clients, 
And the best clients understand exactly what we're saying. And what we're saying is, if your people are happy, inspired, nurtured, provoked, they're going to do great work. And if they do great work, your clients will be happy. So it's a consequence, right? A lot of times agencies put work first, right? And then people suffer or they put client first. They'll do whatever the client wants. But then, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing, you know? So yeah, we have our priorities like, you know, in a very clear way, you know? Yeah. That makes complete sense. So, so I, I love your first meeting with clients. So we're going to do an RFI on you and we're going to remind you that you're actually third in our list of priorities. <laughs> but it's, I agree, it, it's surprising, isn't it? And, and, yeah. and it may sound a bit arrogant, but actually it has the client's interest at heart in that yeah. idea, doesn't it? Totally. And it shows a level of seriousness that you're taking the creative process and desire to, to do good work. So yeah. I, I think it's fantastic. The, the best clients understand. Yeah, exactly. It's a very good way of filtering out the non-serious clients, totally. actually, because yeah. you're, you're right, the right clients will actually respect and appreciate and get it immediately. They it's, it's a totally good understand. way of weeding out the yeah. Yeah, the clients you don't want, really. Yeah. Um, so you, you won, uh, obviously won the uh, the big accolade at Cannes this year. And you also add week breakthrough agency of the year as well, yep. I noticed. So congratulations on Thank that. Thank you. What were some of the winners, the Grand Prix winners this year that you, that kind of stand out for you? I know it's a collection now of uh, of winners, but what did what were you most proud of this year? Yeah, this year was crazy. We won three Grand Prix in three different categories. And um, we loved the one for... Pedidos, yeah, mm. you know, the cup. That's delivery. my favorite, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Total World Cup wins, that was it's incredible. Yeah, just describe it for anyone listening, yeah. how that It's a very simple idea. Pedidos, yeah, is um delivery app, right? Yeah. And basically, we sent a push notification to the whole country saying your your order is on the way, right? And then no, people, just, just context for everyone listening yeah. as well. This is just after the World Cup. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Right and, after and, it. Yeah. And Argentina have just won, right? Exactly. So yeah. we just sent a push notification to the whole country mm-hmm. in Argentina saying, mm-hmm. your order is on the way. And people got really pissed. Like, I didn't order anything. What the fuck is happening, Pedrosia? This is not good. They got, it was basically a prank, right? In, in the entire country. And then after a while, we revealed that the order was actually the cup. Yes, because of course. we yeah. linked the the app, the Periosia app, with the flight carrying the cup. Oh, know? so when it says how far away is your order, you so can you track it. Track. You can see where the yeah, World yeah. Cup you was could going. Actually, track the cup oh, nice. coming to Argentina. Nice. And then when people realized that that was the order, mm. they loved it. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, that was yeah. amazing, Periosia. Thank you so much. You know. So it was a prank, yeah, you know, and and it was a very simple idea. It was a push notification idea, you know. Cost was zero. Well, exactly, because it doesn't cost anything, and you're using your own media, right? Because they've zero. they've got all these people's contact details, and they're using a, a notification that you you send to say your delivery's here. It's like zero cost, cost you nothing, and it was a proactive idea. Yeah, right. It was done in two days. Oh, was it? Yeah, we presented it to the client. Well, so just, this is literally straight after Argentina won the World yeah, Cup, yeah. right? And it so wasn't you... and it wasn't a brief. Yeah. You know, it's a very good example of a proactive idea. We said, hey, what if we do this? Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, it was a great proactive idea from Gut Buenos Aires. Yeah. You know, just perfect. Oh, it's very, very yeah. clever. The other one that we like a lot is the is the Stellar Toa mm. idea, the Artois probability, mm. right? It's a great idea because basically in a lot of oil paintings, you see beer, right? You see glasses of beer portrayed on those paintings. And it's tell to us from 1366. And then we said, wait a minute, maybe it's related, right? Maybe some of this beer could be Stellartois. So what if we try to find, you know, if it's actually Stellartois? And then using data, we analyzed each glass in terms of, you know, the the type of glass, the color of the liquid, the distance between, you know, where the painting was generated and the brewery. So a lot of different, you know, data inputs. And then we created like a percentage, you know. Okay, so this painting by Henoir has um, 67% of Artois probability. And that was the idea, right? That's genius. Yeah. yeah. We, li- we like the line at the end of the case study that says, We'll never know if Van Gogh painted Estelle Trois. 
<laughs> well, he probably did. He probably did. That's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> we were talking, weren't we, about Orlando earlier and his, his book. And it's, it's, it reminded me of that so much because he uses like art history to show how advertising has changed through generations. So he's going to love this when he sees it. I'm going to mm. make sure, you know, to actually spot, uh, you know, stellar. And you're right, though. I'd never thought about it until I saw it. But so many paintings are set in what would have been the pub, you know, yeah. or the bar totally. or, or the, yeah, the, the, the social meeting house or where people got yeah. together to, socialize that was so much part of the yeah the idea was there in front of us and and nobody did it so and and that's the beauty of when you see an idea like that you go i cannot believe that it hasn't been done before you know it's kind of obvious you know only obvious after you see it though i mean again yeah. i i went when i saw it, i'm like what well, this is this is unusual you know because you got the, you got the music and the, and the paintings coming you know the the you know all the paintings over the years it's, it's beautifully done um so very very well done thank um, you how do, am I right in saying that anyone in your agency can answer any brief at any time as well? Because you talk about one-line briefs, don't you, as being... Uh... Yeah, yeah. We we tend to share like what the brand's all about mm. to all the creatives, mm. right? Um, because we want everyone to deeply know the brand. So when they come up with a proactive idea, it's on brand. Yeah. We don't want, we don't want any client to tell us, oh, this is off-brand. Yeah. This is horrible. So... We always try to talk about, okay, this is the brand, this is the brand personality, this is the brand positioning to all the creatives so they know that when they come up with an idea, it's going to be 100% on brand, yeah. you know, and it's going to be driving business results, yeah. you know, because it's addressing something very concrete, you know, yeah. about the brand. And sometimes we, we write like a one-line brief, you know, it's just like a one line and that's the line, you know. So what was a really good example of one-line brief that, that you've had? We have many, we have one-line briefs for almost every client. I think the most famous one in our careers is probably the one that we did for Burger King. Like when we we wrote Play With Fire, you know, back in the day, because it was about flame grilling. And then we say we said, play with fire. And it was so simple, right? And any creative can understand that, right? Oh, okay, I'll just play with fire. To communicate flame grilling, which, by the way, will drive, you know, results. But we try to find that for for all the clients, you know, because it just makes, you know, everything so simple. Um, so look, looking uh, looking out at other agencies, what do you admire the most at the moment if you were to look out and uh, see outside of the agency? Who's do, who's doing some cool stuff? I think I think Uncommon is doing great work. Uh, it's really fresh, you know, fresh and design-oriented. It's great. I think Rethink is having fun. And then, you know, you have, you know, of course, Widen, right? And um, the marketing agency, because again, we, we're a bunch of ad nerds. We, we watch ads all the time. But I also like just to, to watch other things as well, you know? Because if you just watch advertising, it's also not good, right? So I, I love movies and, and cinema, and I, I just love to watch other things as well, especially movies. So because it's a combination of things, you have to watch everything in your profession, right? You need to have uh, advertising knowledge, right? And sometimes I feel that the young generation don't have that. They don't study advertising history and they should. They need to know, you know, um, Cliff Freeman and Fallon McGallagot and Abbott Midvickers and, you know, all the classics, right? DDB, Bill Bernbach. They need to know that. And a lot of people don't know. So they need to study the history of advertising. So that's important, but it's also important just to you know, um, know what's the latest meme and and watch, you know, a new movie by A24 and, and just read everything and just be curious about life, you know. Now, you, you've had an incredible five years, you know, since you founded it. I mean, I guess you went from table 57 to the, you know, the creative agency of the year at Cannes in just five years, which, which is amazing. Well, I guess a couple of questions. How do you stay true to who you are and how do you scale at the same time because you know now, now you employ how many people do you employ 500 plus 570 people, seven offices yeah around the world more coming soon hopefully yeah um how do you keep the spirit of what you've created and make sure that you're always going to be kind of at the top of your game creatively yeah it's all about culture we are obsessed about designing the culture if you don't design the culture the culture will design itself so we are very intentional when it comes to culture. You know, we, going back to the, the branding thing, you know, we, we treat God as a brand. 
So we have the brand positioning, the brand values and personality. Um, you know, we write principles, you know, so we have like 20 principles. We keep writing them and we just take that very seriously. We have names for things. We do naming, labeling, you know, we say, oh, let's show the client a gut x-ray, which is kind of a version of the credentials or let's do a gut punch. You know, it's an idea that is like a gut punch, you know, it's generate a lot, it's gonna generate a lot of earned media. Um, so we create tools to help people to keep the culture alive when we are not around. So anyone can use the language, you know, anyone can use a black tea, you know? And um, so we give a lot of tools to keep the culture alive because that's our biggest challenge right now. As we grow, how can we keep the gut culture strong? And we talk about culture all the time, you know? We, sometimes we invite gutsy guest speakers and all of us jump on a, on a Zoom call and we talk, you know, with, with the guest speaker. So we always talk about creativity, talking about who we are, sharing the work, talking about our values. Um, it's very important, you know, and we travel a lot, you know, Gaston and I and Andrea, our CEO, and all the partners, we travel a lot, you know, to different offices, to listen to people, to inspire them, to provoke them. How would you um, so how would you describe that culture for someone who's not familiar with guts? It's a um, brave culture. It's all about bravery, trying to do brave things, and we use gutsy, you know, as um as a word. It, it, we always say that oh she's gutsy or he's not gutsy. That's how we describe someone, a potential candidate or or a talent. You know, it's um it's a very strong culture. When I came back from that event in March in Buenos Aires, we had a recap video, it's a two minute video. And I showed that video to my daughters, they're 21 and 16. And they told me that this is not an agency, it's a cult. So this is really embarrassing that don't show this to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I need yeah. to say it now. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe it's a big culty, you know, yeah. but you cannot write culture without cult, you know? And we actually have a very low turnover. And I think that's great, you know, because I think people got our talent, they're amazing. You know, they're, they they really wanna do great work and they know that we, you know, Gaston and I and the partners, we are deep down ad nerds that love advertising and we wanna do great work. We just love this business. One thing that Gaston says is love is our engine right? Love is our secret. So what's the secret of God? Love. We love what we do. We love advertising. We love ideas. We love the industry, the process. We love our clients. We love our brands. We love each other, you know? So love is very tangible and, and clients feel that, right? You cannot fake love, but it's very tangible, you know? They, the clients are very smart. They know if you really love the business or not i've said uh, in in my brief spell freelancing but I, after i got fired um i used to do uh pitch training and business development training and one of the points I used to say really really simple is like passion can take you a hell of a long way in front of a client right if, if they feel that you really understand them and that you're really passionate about solving the problem that is worth a thousand slides yeah. You know, I, it, you know, it, and because often I used to reflect on how I'd feel after a pitch when I've met a few agencies, and I'd then go back and look at the pitch decks and realize, oh, it wasn't necessarily the smartest deck or the cleverest words or whatever. It was how I felt. It was often how I made the decision. How I felt was pretty much: do I believe the person has the passion for what I'm wanting to do and what I'm trying to sell? I uh, agree. It's incredibly powerful. And I probably made more decisions just based on that, as you described it, the love or communicating the love and passion yeah. than on any, have they got the model, you know, have, you know, have they got the T, you know, all the creds or whatever. It's much more about that. I agree. And it's also about conviction. A lot of times we go with one idea. Sometimes you can't, right? Sometimes you have to go with two or three. You have, you, sometimes you need to show an option. But every time we go with one idea, our track record is really good mm. because it means that that's the idea. 
they I, I, I believe you actually yeah. i i do because yeah. again when, when you get three ideas the first thing in your head as, as a client is well you obviously not that you obviously don't have that much conviction because if you did you'd know which of these three ideas exactly. was the right one and you almost it's a cop-out it's almost like going well you choose we could do this we could do that we could do the other it's like well i'm not here to choose between a menu of options i'm yes. here to get the best possible answers to the brief which one is it yeah you know, it's like when um when an agency goes and you know it present eight yeah. brilliant ideas yeah. it's very hard to have eight yeah. brilliant ideas you know um, so from our experience, every time we go with one idea, especially in a pitch, mm. it, it, you know, that's amazing because, mm. okay, that's the one. Yeah. And even if you don't win, yeah. right, it's okay because you had a very strong conviction yeah. and you said, that's the one that we yeah. would do yeah. if we were in your shoes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but sometimes... Sometimes we give too many options, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, okay, then you don't well, believe it, well, in it anything. Well, it also actually makes it harder for the client because the client's having to now work through which one do I like, which one's better. Yeah. I'm not sure. I like a bit of this, I like a bit of that. And you end up with a hybrid of all, you know, it, it, it actually makes it more complicated than... I remember than when um, when we invited Stefan Zagmeister and Jessica Walsh to design our logo, right? I asked Stefan, um, what's your process? And he told me, well... You brief me, I'll think for three months and I'm going to show you one option. I was like, wow, that's not my reality. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then, um, and we brief him. And then after two and a half months, he presented two options. But he said, I'm only presenting two options because, you know, you work in advertising, so it's fine. And then I remember when I, I asked him, but Stefan, what happens when you present one option, right? What happens if the client doesn't like it? What happens if they have some feedback? He said, well, I will work on the feedback and then I'm going to present, you know, a revised option. And then I said, yeah, but what happens if the clients still have comments? And then he said, in 20 years doing this, I've never had to do a third option. I was like, oh my God, wow. this is That's good. insane. There is some interesting psychology there because when you present someone with options, actually you start to go, I like a bit of that. I like a bit of this. I'm not, you know, yeah. actually it creates a little more un more uncertainty. It's a bit like the old thing where um, if you if you present one message in an ad, people remember it. If you present two messages, they actually remember less overall they, totally. they, because they're yeah. like, you know, they're struggling to compute. It's a bit like with ideas. You yeah. go, which idea was the one again with the dog and which one was the one with the piano? Yeah. I can't really remember, you know. It's very confusing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas one idea, you know, if you like it or not. I mean, the, the other thing I think is really important in any pitch situation is that from a client point of view, you, you, you listen to how you feel the very moment that you yes. see it. That is yes. so important because that's how your audience are going to see it and feel it, right? You know, rather than two hours of, let me walk you through the idea. And here are 15 reasons why the idea is is on strategy. You know, yeah. it's, it's, got to, it's got to be that first response that you want to capture. We have this thing I got that after every presentation, we cut twice light that says, how are you feeling right now? Mm. And every office does that in every presentation. Mm. Because we want to get the visceral reaction yeah. first. Yeah. And then we can yeah. be rational. And then we can talk about, you know, the to-do list of the yeah. idea and if it's yeah. doing everything that it needs to, to do. But the first reaction, the first feedback needs to come from your second brain, yeah. which is your gut, Tasty. not your first brain, yeah. right? So... We always cut to that slide yeah. and it's a thing now. Yeah. And the clients, they, they're already no, expecting that It's slide. so powerful and, and, and it's very predictive of what happens because, I mean, at System 1, we, we we show people an ad and then we at the end, we just say, how do you feel? Literally, yeah. that's, that's the first question. Exactly. Then afterwards, we go, why? In fact, we ask why three times. It's quite interesting. We, we kind of go, well, why do you feel that? Why is that? Why yeah. is that? And then you uncover loads of stuff about, you know, the gut reaction they had and, and, and you learn so much and what do you associate with the ad now you've seen it. We don't ask them anything rational. We don't ask them, what do you remember? what was the message or none of that just why do you feel how you feel Perfect. and that we, we've shown that that correlates to business success way more than asking any of the rational questions about what was the message what was the brand or you know none yeah of that. because that's what's going to dictate if yeah. that ad is going to be forwarded or not you know because if you feel something if i'm laughing or if i'm crying yeah then I want to share that. Exactly, yeah. I'm feeling yeah. something. Then I'm like, oh, yeah. you should watch this. Well, we have one, you we know? have one, actually one other question we also ask is um, when, when they tell us the emotion, 
we then have a scale of that emotions from sort of you know mild to strong and um the intensity as we call it in terms of how strong yeah. the emotion is is very predictive sort of thing so you know it's not just that you create emotion but how powerful that emotion is is really important as well and i mean that's what your um yeah that's what your can line winning work does isn't it is that yeah. you don't just get it you really feel it and yeah we are in the business reaction. of making people feel something you know it's you know when you go to watch a movie mm. right you basically you are choosing the emotion you want to feel so you go okay i want to watch a horror movie because yeah. you want to feel scared right or I want to watch, you know, like a, a drama because I want to cry. I feel like crying. Or I want, you know, I want comedy today because I feel like laughing. Mm. We're choosing an emotion and mm. we're paying to have an emotion. And in advertising, we don't talk about that, you know? Yeah. It's just like, you know, what's the feeling that we want to evoke? Yeah. And we always try to talk with our clients in terms of, okay, that's the brief, great. But what's the feeling? That's a really good question. What's the yeah. feeling that we want to evoke with this briefing? Yeah. You know, when you think about the final ad, the final idea, right? The execution. When someone sees that, mm. what's the feeling? Mm. Do you want that person to laugh, to cry, to mm. think, to be scared? Yeah. Let's talk about that. There's a fascinating experiment we did actually where, where we, we, we worked out that um, if you feel better about an ad, all the rational perceptions go up so for example if, you, if you're let's say you're advertising a bank right mm -hmm. and in, in one banking ad you have you know we've got the best rate of interest we've got we have more you know banking branches anywhere else yeah. we're open 24 let's say right you have that and you have another banking ad that doesn't talk about any of that but makes you feel something when we do the survey afterwards and, and ask people which one had the best rates which one had the best opening hours which one had the best customer yeah. service the one that made you feel something scores better than than all the, on all the rational attributes and the one that actually said those rational attributes it's amazing because that's how it works isn't it is that how the better you feel about a brand the better you feel about everything about it it's almost like the rising tide floats all boats mm -hmm. kind of thing and that's what brands miss because they zone in on the functional thing they want to communicate and they don't realize that by making people feel something that that'll that'll follow it's second, so obvious know? right it's not i mean it's all about emotion it's, it's obvious but it's amazing how it gets forgotten isn't yeah. it or, or, or neglected and we don't talk about for, that enough yeah you know? yeah we, we tend to be very rational, mm. you know, like um, just a list of things that we need to say. And yeah. it's just, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to create the campaign for more gut reaction. Um, okay, lo last question just to finish us off then. Um, maybe an obvious question for you, but uh, when is gut going to come to London? Because you've opened up in lots <laughs> of great... So where, where, where are you based now? You've got LA, you've got Miami, we are, Toronto. We are in Miami, LA, Toronto, Mexico City, Sao Paulo, Buenos Aires and Amsterdam. Ah, so you're in Europe now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Finally, great. we are in Europe. Amsterdam's Amsterdam is our yeah. first office in Europe. We opened six months ago, but it's just the first, right? But yes, um, I'm in London right now and I love this city. I've always loved London and um, it will come here one day, you know, uh, I already have the handle. <laughs> you bought the handle. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, day one. You know, I've had good London since, you know, five years ago. So one day, one day we'll come to town. I just love the UK market, you know. I grew up buying Dinity annuals, even, you know, without knowing English. Yeah. I would take Dinity annuals to my English teacher to, and just go page by page, please tell me everything about yeah. that ad. So yeah, I love, I love the UK market and um, we'll, we'll come. It's not yeah. a matter of if, it's when. Great. Well, you're here at a good time because um, all the Christmas ads have just broken. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we, we measure a system where we measure emotion on a five-star scale, five being highest. Um, the average uh, oh, oh, the average is about a two-star for, for you know, ads throughout the year. Uh, this year, this Christmas, the average is a four-star. And, and four-star puts you in the top three or four percent of everything on our database. So it's a good year. It's a very good year. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, if, if, if you look through most of the year, you know, the average performance, the average emotion evoked from advertising yeah. would be about two to two and a half star all through the year. Christmas, four star. So like all, all the agencies, all the advertisers do their very, very best work at Christmas. It's become literally the Super Bowl. I mean, yeah, I mean for us here, yeah. the, the, and it's, it's also lovely because, um, you know, we get invited to talk on, 
in the news yeah. about you know who's done the best Christmas ad. It, it, it becomes a conversation on social media. There are people arguing, getting really upset about which one was better, yeah. and disagreeing with each other. So it's just yeah, it's it's a, it's a wonderful time, you know, to be over here and uh, see see the workout. Yeah, I want to watch them. I haven't seen them. I want to watch them all. The thing about the holiday ad brief or the Super Bowl brief that I think it's funny is sometimes clients come to us and say, okay, here's a Super Bowl brief, right? Mm. The sky's the limit. Yeah. You know, go crazy. We can use celebrities, you know, money's not a problem. Just we want to have the most talked about ad in the Super Bowl, right? And then for all the other briefs, for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, you know, we don't have money. Yes, you're right. Don't, yeah. you know, don't go crazy here. Yeah. We need to sell this. Don't. Yeah. And then we, what we say is like, why not? Every brief should have, every brief should be a Super Bowl yeah. brief. I've got the same you thing. You know, yeah. every brief yeah. should be a holiday brief. Yeah. Like with that same ambition. Yeah. yeah. Because you want the ad to be the best. Yeah. You want everyone to talk about the ad. And you were saying as a client, you were bringing ambition to the table. You were saying money's not a problem. I want just to have the best ad ever, but why not? That just should, for one every week. Brief should I know. be like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we used to have this. We used to have this campaign when I was growing up, very young. Uh, I think it was from the RSPCA, which is a dog charity, and it was a dog is uh, sorry, dog is for life, not just for Christmas. Yeah, and I'm just like, well, an ad is for life, not just for Christmas. Yeah, it's like, why is it every? And the other thing we worked out actually on our on our database is the best ads. The, so the best performance ads by far, as I said, is Christmas. The shortest duration of campaign is also Christmas. So you look throughout the year and the average campaign lasts for, I think it was like nine months or something. Yeah. And then at Christmas, it's like three weeks. Yeah. yeah. So, so most money, most amount of money is being spent on the shortest duration doing the best work. And most of the year it's, uh, it's average. When you have a great idea, you don't need a lot of media. You don't yeah. need to repeat. Yeah. 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 You know, like 1984 Apple, mm. it was just, you know, yeah. it ran once yeah. and we're still talking about it. Yeah. You know, so, when you have a great idea, the, the, the better the idea, the less media you need. True. You yeah. know? And the less you need to repeat. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, listen, brilliant place to end. An ad is for life, not just for Christmas, I think. Or not just for the Super Bowl, if you're in America. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Um, thank you, Anselmo. It's been amazing having you on, uh, having you on the show. Thanks for having me. Very special been, to be here, John, in London, and um, talking about advertising on life. I, I really enjoy it. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you very much for listening or watching Uncensored CMO. I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, please do hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. If you're watching, hit subscribe there as well. I'd also love to get a review. Reviews make a big difference on other people discovering the show. So please do leave a review wherever you get your podcast. If you want to contact me, you can do. I'm over on X at Uncensored CMO or on LinkedIn where I'm under my own name, John Evans. Thanks for listening and watching. I'll see you next time.